Okay, so um, we're going to be talking about, uh, you know, the next section of our One Thing is Needful series, and we're going to be getting into strength training. And so um, if you've been in the loop with us over the past several weeks, uh, we've been talking about um, just when it comes to our walk with God, really what matters the most, and, and really cultivating that heart attitude has been our focus from the very beginning, because out of our heart proceed all the things uh, that are necessary to walk with God. And so I'm going to um, stop sharing this real quick so I can get you guys the PDF of the notes for tonight. Um, I'm going to drop it into the chat. So that way you guys got that. Okay, it's sent. You got the PDF, so you can download that and you can take a look at it, um, save it to your device, your computer, so that way you can go back over the notes and stuff. Because this is going to be one that I hope that you will uh, really take to heart. Um, we spent some time just really working through the fact that, yeah, we struggle at times with reading our Bible. We can struggle with praying at times, but the reason why we really struggle with those things is because of our heart and really looking at what the Bible says uh, when it comes to keeping our heart, like Proverbs 4.23, keep thy heart with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life. The reason why we struggle with praying, the reason why we struggle with reading is because our heart is not right. Everything goes back to the heart every single time. Um, this is something that I've learned the hard way, and I have to remember this throughout my life or else I'm going to really mess up in my Christian walk. Um, and I will say every time it's what gets me. And so we spent a lot of it at time talking about, uh, keeping the heart. What does that look like? And ultimately that means abandoning the things that you think and that you feel in order for the things that God thinks and what God feels, letting God's word dominate your thinking, your heart attitude uh, above what you feel. And there's a lot of people that really struggle with being able to do that, but that is absolutely critical. And then getting into the concept of reading and praying, we spent some time talking about why reading the Bible has to be a priority. Um, and really the way you treat the Bible is the way you treat Jesus. And so just think about that, because even over the course of the last week, um, how have you treated your Bible? Has it been a time that's very precious to you or have you neglected it? Uh, because Jesus is the Word of God, and so the way you treat the Word of God, the written Word of God, is the way that your heart feels towards Jesus himself. And so I really hope that you've been able to make that a priority. And in the past couple of weeks, we've been spending time talking about prayer and the priority of prayer and praying in the secret place, uh, praying with importunity, um, and why it's important for us to pray. And I really hope you've been able to take advantage of the challenges that we've been given for that one, of uh, praying about five minutes a day for that first week, and then 15 minutes a day for uh, this past week. I know for me, it was definitely a challenge to try to uh, set aside that time for 15 minutes because there's just been so many things going on, but really that's my fault because um, I know I could have made time to do that more than what I did. And so I definitely made more time to pray to God this past week, but I know in my heart that I should have done a better job. So I'm not really sure where you guys are at, but I hope that it was a blessing to you. So uh, before we get into this new section, I just want to take a couple minutes and I want to give you guys an opportunity to share. Um, how has the past section really helped you? Uh, maybe there's some things that you've not really considered before. Maybe there's some things that you're still wrestling with or struggling with. Uh, just want to open it up for a couple minutes just for you guys to share a little bit before we get into uh, the new section. So anybody want to share anything? All right, Haley. Um, okay, so this is just kind of a tip for like, um, if you struggle with prayer, because um, I kind of realized 
like, okay, so this whole like kind of school year has been like a really high, like prime time for me in my prayer life. And um, just like going through all the ways you're like supposed to pray. Um, when, if you like find someone, if you don't know where to start, I would really encourage you just to find someone that's like not saved. And there are people out there that are not saved. Like just ask someone or send something on the chat if you don't know. And just like really attack prayer at that person. And when you're constantly praying for them, um, other things will end up coming up in your life. And that actually is very helpful to just get you in the habit of praying. Um, and I realized that kind of for me, because once that person like supposedly got saved, that's when I kind of like fell away again from my prayer life. And so it's just a really helpful thing to always be praying for like someone else. It's really motivating. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's good. That's good. Emily Owens, what do you got? So I was just going to say with this prayer challenge, because my prayer life is something that definitely kind of needs to change. Um, and I would say like the one thing that I've noticed is it's got me in the habit of when something does go out of whack or something does go the way kind of unexpected that I'm praying right then and there instead of freaking out first. <laughs> because that's kind of my habit right now is just freak out and then pray. And just focusing more on prayer has brought it kind of to the front of my mind. And so when stuff like that happens, it's been easier to just take a moment and, you know, think about it <laughs> and pray. Yeah. yeah. So. That's really good. Yeah, that's really good. And that's something that I, sometimes I don't think we, we take advantage of what we already have with God. Um, and it can make all the difference in the world. That's good. Any other thoughts? Any other comments? Okay. All right. So, Emily Boffman, you just waited for me to do that, didn't you? I'm so sorry. <laughs> You're fine. It was the lag. It was the lag. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what it was. Um, <laughs> Well, so there's been a few things just going on lately, nothing like huge or anything, but um, it kind of like didn't even occur to me to like pray about them. I know that's terrible, but, but um, especially like within the last couple of weeks, I've, as I'm trying to spend more time praying, um, I'm thinking more about all the aspects of my life and like letting God into those areas. And I've been really praying for him to like, Lord, please help me with this decision. Like, please close the door or open the door and like lead me where you want me to go. And I will go wherever you want. And just like, he has done that where I feel like sometimes I'll, maybe I'll even pray that, but I don't really in my heart, like my heart attitude really isn't like, I don't think you're going to do this. And I'm not willing to change my decision I kind of already have it set and he's like but like in the past couple of weeks with this prayer challenge I've really been focusing on that and he has done exactly that he's closed and opened doors as they are and like I don't know it's just been so cool and yeah <laughs> yeah that's good no I think this is where it really starts to bring more of a reality to our relationship um I think our relationship with God is often very one-sided and um it's helpful for us to realize, no, it's reciprocal. He wants to talk to us. We need to talk to him, uh, especially for us that tend to be more heavy into doctrine and heavy into the Bible. We really forget this side of it, and it is critical. It's a lifeline that we absolutely need, so that's good. 
That's good. Okay, any other comments? Okay. All right. Okay. So um, stepping through this, I want to just share the my screen here real quick and uh, get into um, some of the section here. I don't know why I didn't do that. Let me get back here. Share screen. There it is. Okay. Um, just to do that quick review with that picture. So, uh, so we're going to start focusing on strength training. And really, this part, you'll, you'll start to see as you walk more consistently with God. Now, it is possible to uh, go through some of these things while still getting your walk with God on a more consistent basis. So don't misunderstand me when I say that. Um, but when it comes to really growing your strength in your walk with God, uh, that foundation has to be there. That foundation of, of your reading, your praying, um, your, your heart, those things have to be always in existence in your heart and in your life in order for you to have a proper foundation through which you can, you can grow and you can get strong. Um, you know, I remember back in, and this is kind of more of an illustration from the physical side of things, but I remember back when I first got uh, married and I remember uh, that, you know, I, we had joined a gym at the time and they were offering a special on, um, you know, having a trainer. And I remember getting this trainer and I worked with the same guy on and off over the course of a year. And I remember at that time uh, I had been on a very strict diet. And so I didn't really have a whole lot of extra weight on my body. And I'm trying to exercise and stuff. And he's like, man, your body does not have anything to work with. And he said, when it comes to exercising and, and working out and stuff, it's much better for your body to have some stored fat and some things there to already work with. So that way it can start to build muscle. And so really you need to start eating more. And I was completely out of that habit because I worked an office job at the time. And there's some other things that, that I just couldn't, you know, I, I didn't make the decision to overeat with things. And, and so that really began to change my mindset. And I'm like, huh, I didn't even think about that until he had brought it up. And it's very similar with your spiritual walk. Uh, if you don't spend any time with God and his word, and if you're not spending any time in prayer, the spirit has nothing to work with. It has nothing to work with because you're not, you're not feeding the spiritual side of your life anything. So it's impossible for you to grow stronger and to really gain some solid spiritual strength, no pun intended, but you can take it that way, um, until you, the spirit actually has something to work with. So you can learn how to grow stronger, and there are certain things you can learn for sure, but it is always much better for the spirit to have something to work with. And so that's just interesting to keep in mind. So heading into spiritual, uh, the, the strength training on the spiritual front, going back to our picture, we spent the past four weeks really talking about our communication with God, uh, really honing in on keeping your heart, allowing God to keep your heart, giving your heart to him, and that will really help you with your reading and your prayer life. And your overall communication with God, that is really the foundation of your personal walk. And then once you really start walking with God, the natural overflow of your communication with God is going to be the work of the Lord, which we're going to get to as our, at the next phase of the study. But you really start to see your heart growing much bigger and you can grow in your strength. And so that growth is that strength training and working with God. And so we're going to spend some time talking about the strength training aspect when it comes to uh, discipleship, studying the Bible, memorizing the Bible, and we're going to spend about three weeks going through those ones. And I want to start off with discipleship for tonight. 
So we've talked a lot about discipleship in weeks past and in years past. And so we get it a lot at our church because we major on it. It is the lifeblood of our ministry. It's how our church was started. And it's how our church is sustained, the things that it has sustained throughout the years. And it's the reason why our church is really doing as well as it is doing even during this pandemic nonsense that's going on right now. is because of the discipleship lifeblood that's in our church. But I want to talk about discipleship from the perspective of strength training. And so that gets us into our first thing that we're going to talk about is what is discipleship? Now, I could ask this question and many of you could already answer this question, but I really want to work through a, from this perspective, what is discipleship? And for those of you that might know this one, just take this as a, am I thinking about this the right way? Um, is this something that maybe I'm not thinking right about? Because you know, and I know that there are like things that I've learned three, four, five, six times in my life. But sometimes the more I learn it, the more I'm like, oh, I didn't understand it the way that I should have been understanding it. And so really keep that in mind. Don't just write this off as something that you've heard before. I want you to try to hear this from a brand new perspective. Okay, so in my mind, from this perspective, defining discipleship, I decided to define it this way. And I think this will make sense as we work through the lesson today. So discipleship, it is the manner through which a believer is conformed to the image of Jesus Christ by learning to willfully submit their will to the Lord in all things. So this is that process or the manner through which a, a believer or a Christian becomes more like Jesus Christ because they're choosing to go God's way rather than their own way. It's a willful act. There's no one that can make you be a disciple. Even if you participate in discipleship, you may not be a disciple. It really comes back down to your heart attitude. And a really good check on this is if you've ever had maybe your discipler, like let's say you're in discipleship, and like your discipler comes to you and they confront you on something, how well do you receive that? How well do you receive that? And then correct course in your heart and in your life on things that you need to correct between you and God. Another great indicator of how well of a disciple you actually are is when we're going through lessons like this. How much do you actually pay attention to the things that are spoken and that are taught? And when God convicts you about something, how do you respond? Because a disciple is someone who is constantly in the process of becoming more like Jesus Christ, which means they are forsaking who they are. They're forsaking their current state, and they are wanting to become more and more and more like Jesus. And this is a continuous process that you will go through until the day that you die. But nevertheless, there should be a pattern of growth that exists in your life. You should be able to see over the past six weeks, things that have changed in your life and things that you have drawn closer to the Lord in because you are his disciple. And it is possible, again, to be in discipleship and not be a disciple in your heart towards God. So I really want you to think about that. And so it's this process. And so, um, you know, we're going to hit some of these verses that I have on your guys' study sheet a little bit later. So we're not going to hit them right now because um, I want to get down to those in, in a more applicable spot. But those verses are ones that are just really, really good. I think the only one that I don't have in there is uh, Luke 6, 46, I don't have that later on, where Jesus says, 
why call ye me Lord, Lord, and not do the things that I say? I love that verse. It's very convicting to me. If we pray out to God and we call him our Lord, our Heavenly Father, um, our Savior, especially our Lord, then why do we not do the things that he tells us to do? Because if he is our Lord, that means that we are obedient to whatever he tells us to do. If we call him Lord, and yet we do things contrary, then we are the Lord of our life, rather than the Lord Jesus Christ being the Lord of our life. And that's sometimes very difficult to see, and we'll talk about why that's difficult to see that as we get a little bit farther. Okay, so with that, uh, I want to talk about the process. So we've gone through John 17 several times in several different ways, but if you go to John 17, I want you to see John 17 with the outline that I've given on your guys' study sheet, uh, which I'm also going to be putting up here as well uh, for everyone to see in case you don't have it open or if you're on a phone where it's difficult to navigate between the two. But John 17 is really the core chapter that we use where we get the whole concept of discipleship. And if the, the concept here is that this is Jesus' last prayer uh, to God, and he talks about his disciples, and this is really where Jesus gives the whole concept of discipleship in the Word of God. So the process, let's talk about this. So the first thing here that we want to talk about is evangelism, evangelism. So in John 17, go ahead and take a look at verse um, 6. Somebody read for me verse 6. John 17, verse 6. <clears throat> Who'd like to read? Emily Boffman, go ahead. Verse 6. Not quite there yet, sorry. It's okay. Okay. I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of thine out of the world. Thine <clears throat> thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. Okay. So the first thing is heading into verse six, take a look at verse four. Jesus says to the Father, I have glorified thee on the earth, I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. So he is explaining here in the following verses what is the work that he finished. And there's a lot of people that they, they mix this up and they think, well, wait, the work that Jesus came to do was to die on the cross. Because later, a few chapters later, he would say, when he's on the cross, it is finished. And yes, that is absolutely true. He did came and he, he did come to finish that work, to do that work and to finish that work. But that wasn't the primary work that God gave him to do. The primary work that God gave him to do is what he's about to describe here in John 17. So he glorified God on the earth. He finished the work that thou gavest, which thou gavest me to do. And then he continues. And in verse 6, the first thing that was a part of Jesus' work was, I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. So the process of discipleship begins with evangelism. And evangelism is simply defined as manifesting God's name. Now, if you were to take the word manifest and you were to find a dictionary and, and, and find out the, the meaning of that word, very simply, it means to make very clear, to make clear. And any time that you have something that is being shipped to you or any time that they would have giant shipping containers that come in and out of ports, or anytime you're on an airplane and you're going from one place to the next, they always have a manifest. 
And that manifest details what's in the cargo. It details for the plane, who are the people that are on this plane? And so they double check the manifest with the people that are on the plane to make sure they have everything, they have everybody. And so it's used to reconcile. It's used to reconcile that concept between what's actual and reality. And so manifesting God's name, this would kind of be like our manifest, be the word of God, but manifesting God's name is that people have an understanding about God that may or may not be true. And as we manifest God's name and who he is from his word with people, then we are making clear who God is. And as you do that, evangelism naturally occurs because you're declaring unto people the truth of God's word. And so telling people how to get saved is in God's heart. It's in God's nature. It's in his name. And so evangelism is manifesting God's name. So this is what Jesus did. When he came, you'll even notice that when he was a child and uh, they were at the temple, that his parents had left and they assumed that Jesus was in the midst of the whole crowd that was heading back to where they were living in Nazareth. And here Jesus was actually in the temple and he was with the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the doctors, the lawyers, and he was expounding the word of God unto these men who were well beyond him in years and had a lot more schooling and training in the Jewish ways. And he was teaching them. He was teaching them. He was manifesting the truth of God to these men. And this is all he did. And so when Jesus started his ministry, that's exactly what he did. When he went out and he started to preach to everyone that came to him, he healed of their diseases. You know, he, he healed the sick, the lame, uh, the blind, everybody but he manifested God's name to those people. He corrected things that were misunderstood about God and gave them the truth from God's word. This is what he did. And so that's the first thing that he did is he came and he manifested God's name. For a person to become a disciple, they have to be evangelized. Things have to be made clear in their heart and in their life about who God is. A person cannot be saved until it is very clear about who God is and who they are, and why they need a Savior. So that's part of our responsibility. So that's the first step of being a disciple. All right, so the second step of the process after evangelism is conversion, and then that goes right into discipleship. Conversion into discipleship. So once God's name is manifested, now people have the opportunity to hear the manifestation of God and to believe it and receive it, and then God is able to be glorified through them being saved, and then discipleship, that process where they grow. And this is clearly seen in the next several verses. So verse 6, we already read. Now take a look at verse 7. Now, these guys, which have had the manifested God's name, they've received it. It says, now, uh, at the end, it says, they have kept thy word. Now, they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came out from me from thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me. So the first thing in this process of conversion is that the word of God is heard, believed, and received by people. A person cannot be converted, they cannot be saved without hearing the word of God, believing it, and receiving it. And that goes back, another great cross-reference for that one would be Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. That you hear the gospel, the, the gospel of truth, and then you believe it. And after you believe the gospel, then you are sealed with that spirit of redemption. 
and, he, and you're sealed until the day of redemption. And so Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 are probably the clearest verses in the Bible that show you what happens during the process of salvation. So the word of God is declared, manifestation, and then a person hears it, they believe it, and they receive it, and they become converted. They become saved. They're born again. And so they're no longer lost. They are now a believer, and that's where we kind of get that term from. And then take a look at verse 10. It says, and all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. When a person hears the word of God, they believe it, they receive it. God is glorified in those believers. In that moment, he is glorified. And so that's something important for you to understand, because I think there's a lot of people that think that they cannot glorify God. Um, but the fact is, is that if you are saved, if you are born again, if you have basically told God that you are a sinner and that you need a savior and you've humbled yourself and called upon him to save you, you are glorifying God right now. And that is absolutely amazing. And so it doesn't matter what state that you're in, even if you've fallen away, it's not hard to come back. I mean, the only part that's hard about coming back and glorifying God with things in your life that you didn't before is because of your own pride and my own pride, really. And so that's something important for us to really think about. And so he says, I am glorified in them. And so this conversion process really gives a lost person the ability to glorify God. And then we continue to glorify God as we continue to hear, believe, and receive the word of God, because it doesn't just stop there. So take a look at verse 11. I'm going to read 11 through 17. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to thee, Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me I have kept, and none of them is lost but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word, there it is again, given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray now that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. Okay, so this section of scripture from 11 to 17 really talks about the fact that they are not any longer of the world. They don't belong to the world, and yet they're going to be in the world. Well, when you are someone who has heard the word of God, you believed it, you've received it, you're now glorifying God, now you are an enemy in this world. You don't belong. And as you start to wrestle with that fact, you're going to come to grips with, am I going to continue to receive and believe and do these things because now I'm a disciple. I'm now a believer who's now a disciple in Jesus Christ and continue to grow knowing that I don't belong here and this world's going to hate me. Or am I going to really kind of go back on what I said, not lose your salvation because you can't lose your salvation if you're genuinely saved, but you're going to start acting like the world again. You're going to go back and you're going to start doing worldly things because you, you want to actually fit into this world. And there's really no gray area in between. You either fit very nicely into this world or you are very, very uncomfortable in this world. And it says very clearly that when you hear the word of God, you receive it, you believe it, you are not going to fit. And this is where a lot of Christians stop. 
This is where a lot of Christians remain part of the multitude and choose not to become a disciple to continue to step forward in their relationship with God because there's too much conflict. The cost is too great to continue following the Lord because that means they're going to have to let go of the things of this world, uh, the things that they love, the things that they love to get out of the world. They just don't think that it's worth the cost of giving some of those things up. And it's a battle and it's a process. You know, a lot of these things you can't really learn until you start to go through it yourself. But the end result here is that God wants you to be sanctified. And verse 17 makes it very clear. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. When you hear, believe, and receive the word of God, then it will sanctify you from this world. And true disciples are those that continue in his word. That's John 8, 31. It's one of our cross references a little bit later. They continue in God's word. And so you can be saved and you can be converted, but never really become a disciple. But what you have to understand is that every believer, every convert is supposed to become a disciple. And that's why a lot of Christians are in this huge conflict in their own heart about discipleship and actually being a disciple because they want God to save them from hell and they are genuine about it. And they may even, you know, when it, I'm not saying it's a false conversion at all. I'm saying it's a genuine conversion that they know that they can't make it to heaven without God. But when, once that happens, now God is asking me to live my life for him. And I just don't want to do it. I want to continue to live my life for me and the things that I want and the things that I desire rather than for the Lord who bought me. And that is a conscious decision that a lot of people make. And so, you know, if that's you, maybe that's something you need to really continue to think about and wrestle with, but that's really what's going on. And if there are Christians, and I use that term loosely because they might not be saved, who have no conflict and they just feel good about the world and they really don't care about the things of God, then I really do question their salvation that's something between them and God alone, but it is something to consider. It's something to really think about. It's something to work through because someone who has the Holy Spirit of God inside of them, they just can't let that stuff go. Like, they, they can't. If there's no conflict on the inside, then I'm not sure the Spirit's even there. So that's something that is a key indicator on whether or not someone's actually saved or not, and that's something that you have to wrestle with between you and God. I can't say if you're saved or not. That's in between you and God alone, but it is something to really think about because there are a lot of people that are very good at faking it or thinking that they're fine when in reality they're not. So that is the convert then becoming the disciple. People hear God and they hear his, him being manifested clearly, correcting some of the concepts. They hear it, they believe it, they receive it. They are now believers, they're now born again. But then as you continue to do that, that's when you start to become a disciple. So conversion naturally should lead into discipleship. Salvation should naturally lead into discipleship. It's really two sides of the same coin. And it's very, very difficult to have one without the other. You can't be a disciple without being saved. In reality, salvation is the first step to being a disciple. And so it should be that next logical step that should happen in people's lives, which is why Jesus words it the way that he words it in here. It's almost just a very flowing process here. So that's where the second thing hits. And then thirdly, believers learn how to be sanctified while remaining in the world. And that is the challenge that we face today 
is learning how to be sanctified and set apart for God's use while living in this world that hates him. And so that's why we just don't fit. We don't fit. And if you fit too well, then there's some other things that are going on that you have to, you have to be willing to deal with. And if you're not willing to deal with it, then that's just something between you and God that you've got to address. Okay. So the process of discipleship, evangelism, it starts there. And the second step is conversion or discipleship, kind of hand in hand, one with another. And then thirdly, it is the commission, the commission. And that would hit us with uh, verse 18, really through 23. So give me someone to read verse 18, 19, and 20. 18, 19, and 20. We'd like to read. All right, Isaac or Sam, whichever one. All right, 18 through 20? Yeah, 18 through 20. As thou hast sent me in, yeah, okay. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they might also that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. All right, awesome. So the first step of this commission, like he says here, is that believers are sent out to do the work of the Lord. He says in 18, as thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. So just as God the Father sent Jesus into the world to do that work, to manifest God's name, to see those that receive it and believe it converted, and then to disciple them. Thirdly, then he sends them out to go and do the exact same work. So that means that in order to do the work of God and to be commissioned to go out and do the work, you have to be a disciple. And in order to be a disciple, you have to be saved. In order to be saved, then you have to have God's name manifested unto you. You have to be evangelized. So part of the reason why I think a lot of Christians really have a hard time with the commission, with their mission of going out there, evangelizing, seeing people discipled, is because just back it up one step. Either they're not saved or they're just not a faithful disciple because he doesn't send them until after. So Jesus manifests God's name. He gives them God's words. They receive it. He continues to equip them through God's words. They don't fit into this world. And then he sends them out to go and do the exact same work. So that is the process. Believers are sent out to do the work of the Lord. And then the other thing that's interesting about this, verse 21 through 23, I'll read these ones. It says, um, so I don't pray just for them alone, but for them that shall believe on me through their word, verse 20. So those are the ones that they go and they evangelize and then begin to disciple, verse 21, that they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them, and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me, and hast loved them, as thou hast loved me. So when believers go out and they do the work, so they are evangelized to become believers, then they are discipled, and after discipleship, then they are commissioned to go out and do the work. As those things exist in the heart and life of the believer, that becomes the evidence of the truth of Jesus Christ, so that way the world may know him and believe on him. That's exactly what he said. Verse 21, that the world may believe 
thou hast sent me, in verse 23, that the world may know that thou hast sent me. So the proof that God is true and that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life is completely dependent upon you going out and fulfilling the commission that God gave you. And so this is the process. This is how it's supposed to look. Person's evangelized. They are then converted. A convert becomes a disciple. The disciple then is commissioned to go out and to evangelize, to make converts that go and make more disciples, to which then they can be commissioned to go out and to evangelize, to make more converts, to then disciple them, so that way they can be sent out, and it just keeps going, and it never stops. And this is what has happened since Jesus Christ all the way up until this point. This is the entire process throughout human history for the past 2,000 years that has led us to where we are today, doing the things that we are doing. This is the work of the Lord. This is what Jesus said in verse 4 of this chapter. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. This is everything that we should be doing. Everything that we do in our local church is the result of these three things. Everything. I don't care what it is. You can break it down. And you can go to any part of our ministry. You can go to the nursery. You can go to the high school. You can go to the adults. You can go to the senior guys that meet once a month. You can go to, I mean, the ladies' ministry, the men's ministry. You can go into the junior high, to the kids, to the toddlers, to the preaching, to the music, to the missions trips. Everything that we do comes back to these three things. Evangelism, to make converts disciple those converts so that we can commission them out to go to the exact same thing. That's it. That's it. Because that's what we've been called to do. And that's what you and I have been called to do. Now, the way you and I go do that might be different because we have different personalities. And that's fine. That's fine. Because God has made you the way he wanted to make you. And you are not like somebody else. You are you. And so the thing is for you is to figure out how you and your personality fit into this plan, because this plan is global. It is universal. It is multicultural. And it doesn't matter what your personality is. You will fit into this plan. You do. Because everybody can disciple somebody. Everybody can have an opportunity to talk to somebody about their faith, about their salvation testimony. Everybody can. So that's something that is a work that everybody is required to do. Okay, so that's kind of the big picture. Now, I want to get into this section, and this is where I'm going to have a lot of you guys read. So um, I'm going to start just dishing out some verses. All right, so um, let's see here. Um, okay, so just give me some readers, and I will see what we've got as far as verses are, are concerned. All right, so who wants to read? All right, Emily Owens, why don't you go ahead and take... Um, uh, let's see here. Matthew 4.19. Alana, take uh, Matthew 11.29. Um, and then let's do Timmy. You can take... First um, Corinthians 11.1. 1. And then... Um, Isaac or Sam, you guys really confuse me by being together. Um, whoever's reading, I don't care. Or maybe both of you want to read, whatever. <laughs> All right. Uh, John 15, 5 and John 14, 6. You guys can take those two verses. 
And then I'll need one, two, three, four, five, six more. All right, Andy, I'm assuming it's you. Uh, Romans 8.10. Uh, Emily Boffman, Philippians 1.9. All right, Trevor, you can do John 8.31. Three more. Oh, my wife, Megan. Oh, you're not listing it digitally. Okay. Um, Megan, you can do Revelation 19.13. Uh, Rick, go ahead and do Acts 9.5. And Bobby, you can do Ephesians 4.12. Okay. And I'll try to remember where I divvied those out. If I pass over you, please don't be offended. Okay. All right. So here's what I want to hit. All right. So we kind of talked about discipleship. I kind of built the case for the fact that... Um, that this is the process. The process is for everybody. Hopefully you can see that. Hopefully it's been clear. Now, here's what I really want to kind of go with this. Why discipleship must be a priority in your life for personal growth. So why is discipleship that thing that God uses for us to grow spiritually? So that's kind of what I want to hit. Let me here share this my screen here real quick. Okay. So why discipleship must be a priority for personal growth. All right. So the first point here is this. This is kind of a long one, but I meant every word of it and I couldn't trim it down. So my apologies. All right. So God appointed all born again believers as stewards of the gospel and commissioned them to do the work of Jesus Christ in this world as his ambassadors. So why is discipleship important? Bam, it's right there. Like if I could just nail down like one thing, that would be it. The reason why discipleship is so critical is because without discipleship, you're never going to do the mission right. It's never going to happen. You have to have discipleship. If discipleship is missing from the equation, then a church will fail in its mission. An individual believer will fail in their mission to do the work of God because discipleship is how you learn how to do the work of God. That is the core. That is the key. That is the reason why it exists. God appointed all born-again believers as stewards of the gospel and commissioned them to do the work of Jesus Christ in this world as his ambassadors. So the first verse I want to hit on this one is 1 Thessalonians 2.4. But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God with triumph our hearts. This verse is a verse that should weigh heavy upon your heart not in a form of guilt, but just understanding the weight of responsibility that God has placed on the believer. And some people freak out by that. They feel the weight of responsibility and they freak out. And because they freak out, they don't grow. That's not the intent. When you feel the weight of responsibility upon your shoulders about any given thing, what you need to do is you need to train your heart and your mind to accept it as a challenge, not in a carnal way, but just understanding that God has given you a mission. But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, God allowed you and I to be put in trust with the gospel. That is massively huge, very important. He allowed you to be put in trust with the gospel. And so what's Paul's response? Even so, we speak. Now, how are you going to be able to be a good steward of the gospel and speak it appropriately? The next part of the verse. Not as pleasing men, but God with try their hearts. 
if you're in the business of pleasing people, you'll never be a good steward of the gospel. It's just not going to happen. And I'm speaking to myself on this one, too, because this is a struggle that I've had for years. And I've struggled with it a lot more when I was younger, when I was your guys' age, than I do now. But there are still elements that are just residual parts of me that still exist where I struggle with this. I can't care what people think. I have to care what God thinks. And God has allowed me to be put in trust with the gospel, so I need to be able to speak it. When I have opportunity, I need to be able to speak it. So that's really important, really important. Okay, and then the next verse that I want to hit on this one is 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21. So go ahead and turn there. Those of you that have your places marked, make sure you mark your spots. Because I don't remember who I gave what verse to. So if you're just completely gone on that, then I apologize. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So this verse really shows from the process of becoming a new creature in Christ, then what God has really done inside the hearts of people to make them his ambassadors. All right, so 17, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, salvation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. That is also the same as being entrusted with the gospel. The gospel is that ministry of reconciliation. It's that thing that brings man back to God, that reconciles both of them together through Jesus Christ. To wit, verse 19, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Okay, so now that we know that, verse 20, now then we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead be reconciled to God. See, verse 20 really defines what an ambassador is. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you be reconciled. So that's what it is. As an ambassador, you serve at the will of God. And it is God's will that people be reconciled, that lost people be saved, that saved people live right. And as we speak to others, you are speaking on God's behalf, in God's stead, to persuade people to be reconciled unto the Father. That's our job. That's what we're supposed to do. And the reason is in verse 21, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So our job as ambassadors is that we are called by God to do his work. His will is for the lost to be saved, for the saved to grow. And so as we do that work, we do that on behalf of God. We stand in the stead of God trying to minister unto people. And that is really the heartbeat behind it. And so that's what God has, has called us to do. So if that's the case, and it is, and that leads us to our next point, is in order for us to be those ambassadors, those stewards of the gospel, and we're supposed to be God's representatives, training, discipline is required for the personal growth to do this job. It is absolutely required. Like there is no way that you can do the work of the Lord without proper training and discipline because you have to grow personally. So you need training and you need discipline. So let's listen to these verses. Uh, Matthew 4.19. 
And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. All right, I love that verse. Follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. So in order for the disciples to become a fisher of men, they had to follow him, which also means that they had to give up what they were doing in order to follow Jesus. And the whole idea of following Jesus is that you're learning from him. Did I have anyone look up Matthew eleven twenty nine? I don't think I did. Did I? Yep. Okay, That's good. Me. Do that one. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in your heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. Okay, read that first part of the verse again. Take my yoke upon you and learn and, of me. Yes, and learn of me. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. So that means that you have to make a conscious decision. I need to be trained. I don't have it in me to do this job. I need help. And so Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. So it's a willing, voluntary choice that you make. And he says, and learn of me. Learn of me, which means that you don't have the wisdom and the knowledge and the understanding to do this and that you actually need help in order to do this. So that's critical. Um, the next verse I wanted to show you is up on the screen on this one. And Jesus makes this very clear, John 12, 26. If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. So this is a very simple concept. But if you just break it down and not overthink it, if you desire to serve Jesus, that's the first part, let him follow me. So follow him. So if you want to serve him, follow him, follow his example, learn of him, take his yoke upon you and learn of him. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. So this isn't rocket science. This is actually very, very simple. Where is Jesus? Well, wherever Jesus is, that's where you're supposed to be. It really is that simple. Well, what did he do? As he had opportunity to manifest God's name, he did it. And when he manifested God's name, there would be some that would receive it and believe it. Those men he took to himself and he discipled them and he trained them and he taught them things that they needed to know so that way they could go out and do the exact same thing. So if you find yourself in a situation, and this may sound dumb, but maybe some of you need to hear this. If you find yourself doing something in your life that Jesus would never do and never be there, then why are you there? I mean, it's another way to think about it, but it's just one of those things where it's like, sometimes I need to snap back into reality and I'm thinking, what, what, what am I doing? What am I doing? Jesus wouldn't want any part of this. Then why, why am I doing this? And it's just something that might help you. So maybe that's something you need to hear tonight. I don't know. It's something that's on my heart at the moment. So I love how this is worded. It's very, very simple. It's very, very clear. And that's why in John 3.30, John the Baptist, this was his mindset. And this is the mindset of someone who wants to be trained, that wants to have that discipline in their life so they can grow. He must increase, but I must decrease. I got to go. There's things in my life that have to go, and he's got to increase. He's more important than me. He's more important than me, and so I've got to let that be a reality that sets in in my life and so that we can actually make changes that are appropriate so I can glorify God. Okay, so training and discipline is required. If you're going to be a good steward of the gospel, if you're going to go and do the mission that God has commissioned you to do, if you're going to be a good ambassador, you have to have training. 
You have to have discipline in order for you to personally grow to do the job. If you don't have that, then you're not going to do a good job. And God has already put this in your lap. Whether you like it or not, God has put this in your lap. It's something that you just got to receive. And so if you receive that and you're like, you know what, I want to do a good job for the Lord, then you need training. You need discipline in order to grow personally. So here's our next point. Personal growth that you need cannot be done properly in isolation. There's a lot of people that think they can make it on their own. It is not possible. It is absolutely not possible. Uh, just thinking about that for a second, somebody give me an answer why that's not possible. Why is it po not possible for a person to grow personally in isolation alone? If you've got something to say, just unmute yourself and go for it. Why is it not possible for a person to grow personally in isolation? Because no one's there to keep you accountable. Yeah. No one is there to keep you accountable. Because um, last time you checked, do you know your flesh? You know how deceitful your flesh is? How that if you can get away with something, you will probably go ahead and do it? We like to cut corners. I mean, we just do. If there's a faster way to get somewhere to get the similar results, man, we're all about it. Because that's what we want. We don't want to put in the hard work for it. That's our flesh. And so you can't grow properly in isolation. It's just not possible. You need someone else in your life. You need it. You got to have somebody else in your life. If you don't have someone else in your life to speak to you objectively, lovingly, truthfully, then you are going to believe your blind spots. You're going to think you're okay when you're not. You're going to think your decisions are sound when they are not because you've never gone to anybody to talk to them about it. It is much better, and that's why the Bible says that when, you when you're willing to go and get a multitude of counselors, there's safety. There's safety because now it's not just you making the decision anymore. Now you have multiple people that have considered your circumstance to give you wisdom that you need. Very important. So you cannot grow properly on a personal level without having someone in your life. It cannot be done in isolation. It absolutely cannot be done in isolation. Okay, so let me get back to the screen here real quick. All right. Okay. So Matthew 16, 24. I love this one. Um, then said Jesus unto his disciples, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now, if it were possible to follow Jesus without denying yourself, I'm sure that he would have made it available. I'm sure he would have done it that way, but he didn't. In order to properly follow Jesus and to be a disciple, you have to deny yourself. You got to deny yourself. You got to take up that cross that you don't want to carry and that you don't want to bear and that you don't want to be put on and you have to follow him. We cannot properly deny ourselves alone. It's just not possible. You need someone in your life to help you with that process. All right, I know I gave someone 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. Is that you, Timmy? Yes. Okay, go for it. Read it. Be followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Okay, so in that scenario, Paul's talking to some believers, disciples, and he says, be followers of me, as even as I also am followers of Christ. I am a follower of Christ. So in order to learn how to follow Christ, he's like, follow me. 
So they needed to have Paul in their lives in order for them to have the proper accountability and the structure and the training and the discipline to grow personally so they know how to follow Jesus Christ. This has always been the pattern. This has always been the pattern. And so that's why at our church we do one-on-one discipleship. So that way you can have your life with another life and you can objectively work through things in your life in order to learn how to follow Jesus Christ. Because remember, what is discipleship? At the very top of our study sheet, it is that manner through which a believer is conformed into the image of Jesus Christ by learning to willfully submit their will to the Lord in all things. It is that process where you become more and more like Jesus Christ. In order for that to happen, you cannot be in the picture. But we often love ourselves, ourselves way too much. We do. And so if, we're, if there's a way that we can cut corners and be fleshly in the process of spiritual growth, we're going to try. And it is just not going to work. So personal growth cannot be done properly in isolation. It's just not possible. It's not possible. And then lastly, and this part is huge, huge. Got to bring back to Trump. Okay. So discipleship must be a priority for personal growth. So this concept is major. You must be deeply connected with the spirit in the Bible and in the local church. You've got to be. You have to be deeply connected with the Spirit in the Bible and in the local church. And within this context, what I'm talking about is that when the Spirit convicts you, you are submissive. When he wants to teach you something, you listen. And you are in the Bible, which means that when you hear things from the Bible, when you read things in the Bible and they convict you because the Spirit's working in conjunction with your Bible reading and studying in order to bring things up to the surface in your life, you are obedient. You're obedient. And you're involved in the local church. You've got to be involved in a local church. It's one of the reasons why over the past couple of days, we have spent hours as a pastoral staff really working through, we've got to reopen. How are we going to do this? Because it has gone on way too long that we have not been together properly. And it's only a matter of time before our church begins to really, really suffer because we are not together. Now, why is this? So why is this critical? Why is it with the Spirit? I can understand being in submission to the Spirit, and I can understand being in the Bible, but why is the local church so critical? Well, God has set it up that way, and I want to show that to you. All right, so John 15, 5 and John 14, 6. I know I gave those ones out to Isaac okay. and Sam. Um, here's John 14. Which one do you want first? Um, go ahead and do 15, 5 and then 14, 6. Okay. And pause between, because I want to say a couple things. Okay. I'm the vine, you're the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. Okay. So before Jesus goes to the cross, he sets up this picture. The vine and the branch. I am the vine, you're the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. Very important verse. So the way that God has designed it is, I'm looking at the plants around here. I don't have any good ones, Megan. Sorry, I'm not going to use any. Okay. You got the vine, right? So you got your, your vine, okay? And then, oh, come on. I had a pen here. I don't have a pen anymore. Oh, got it. Okay. All right. Got it. I got this one. This will work. Okay. It's just a physical example. We're good. Okay. All right. So I am the vine. You're the branch. There you go. It's pretty dumb. 
Sorry. That's all I got to work with. I don't have like a whiteboard at church. It's one of the things I miss about church. Okay. So well, I know we got a whiteboard, but okay, never mind. All right. So <laughs> I am the vine, you're the branches. Okay. He that abideth in me and I in him, because when you look at the inner workings of the vine and the branch, you have the stuff on the inside that they're connected to one another. So the, the sustenance comes up from the root and it goes out into the branch in order for then the branch to produce the fruit that hangs on the vine through which it can be picked and then used, okay? So if this branch on the inside, it might be connected on the outside, but on the inside, <clears throat> on the inside, <clears throat> sorry, excuse me, on the inside, your heart, keeping your heart with all diligence for out of the issues of life, <clears throat> sorry, that was a weird frog in my throat. So you have this branch, it's gotta be connected on the inside, and Jesus has to be connected on the inside, salvation, discipleship, walking with God daily, communication with God. And as that happens, now the branch has the ability to bear fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. That is the concept you got to get in your mind about this. If you're going to glorify God, you have to be connected. You've got to be connected. And I'm not talking about reading and praying. That's an element of it. But that's not it. It's your heart. If your heart is not connected with Jesus Christ, who cares if you read or pray? In some ways, it might actually cause more damage because you're just faking it and it's not and nothing's even there. I have more respect for Christians that are just honest than those that fake it because those that fake it are actually hypocritical and they're doing more damage than good to the, to the name of Christ and of God and to the work. So the whole point is that this branch is supposed to be connected into that vine. You've got to have that. You have to have that. So if Jesus has created this codependent relationship, which he has, biblically speaking, then this next verse makes complete sense. All right, John 14, 6. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Yeah. Yeah, without a question mark. But by me? Yeah, but by me. Okay. I am the way the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father but through Jesus Christ. The way, the truth, and the life. Now, I've said this sometimes in, 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 in weeks past, years past. I know I've said this before, but it is definitely worth repeating. So when it comes to the way, the truth, and the life, that is Jesus. He's everything that we need. I and you, you and me, can't bear fruit without me. Codependent relationship. I'm the vine. You're the branches. That all is there. Okay. But then here's the reality. Jesus dies. He rises from the dead. He begins to manifest himself throughout the whole world. And then all of a sudden, he's out of here. So now that he's gone, what in the world? We can't do anything without him. And this is where, doctrinally speaking, you have then the three things that Jesus used to replace himself until he comes back. And that is the Spirit of God. The day of Pentecost, the Spirit would come. He said that in John 13, 14, 15, 16. He said that right in there in those chapters, that he was going to send the Comforter, the Spirit of Truth, to guide into all truth. That Spirit got to be there. So if you're not in submission to the Spirit of God, you are outside of the will of God, and you can't bear fruit. It's not possible. Then the truth, so that's the life. The truth is the Word of God, the Word of God. And that's easy. John 17, 17, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. And then thirdly, you have the way. So you have the way, the truth, and the life. The way 
in Scripture, in your King James Bible, is consistently translated as the church, the local church, the local church. So you have a body of believers, the body of Christ. You have the Word of God, and you have the Spirit of God. Any born-again believer that is not in submission to the Spirit of God, the Word of God, and their local church participating as an active member in their local church, it is impossible for them to bear fruit. It is impossible for them to bear fruit. You can't, it just can't happen. Because that's what God said he's, you're supposed to do. I, you and me, I and you, you're going to bring forth fruit if you're in me and I'm in you. The way, the truth, and the life. So these next few verses that we're going to read really should bring that to light. So you must be connected. You must be connected. All right, so let's take a look at these verses. Romans 8, 10. That's me. All right. Um, and if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. Okay, so the spirit is life. If Christ be in you, the spirit of life, the way, the truth, and the life. There it is. Philippians 1.9. I'm sorry, I got confused with the buttons. Okay. okay. And this I <laughs> and this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. Ah, oh, you know what? Read 19. It's a typo. I caught that earlier and didn't fix it on the city sheet. 19. <laughs> okay. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the spirit to, of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Because the spirit is called the spirit of Jesus Christ. So that's where you have that whole concept of the spirit being God, being the life, being the spirit of Christ. And so that's where Jesus replaced himself with the spirit. All right, John 8, 31. Uh, then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. Okay, continuing in God's word. If ye continue in my word, not stop whenever you want, Continue, which means you don't stop. It's continually part of your life. If you continue in my word, then you will be my disciples. That's what he says. All right, and then Revelation 19, 13. Which I think is my wife, but Lucy is crying because it's getting close to her bedtime. <laughs> yes, it's your turn. You just need to unmute yourself because I can hear you, but no one else can. <laughs> Revelation 19.13, I believe it was. Yeah, 19.13. Okay, can you hear me? Yes. <laughs> okay. Uh, and he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. I love that verse. Jesus' name is called the Word of God. Revelation 19, that's, when, that's the second coming. So when he comes back, he's going to be known as the Word of God. It says the same thing in John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. I mean, it just goes into all that stuff. So Jesus' name is the Word of God. So you have the Spirit, you have the Word of God. You got Acts 9, 5. Ricardo. Acts 9, 5, and he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Okay, so in that context, that's Jesus confronting Paul on the road to Damascus. 
Paul was just in the process of persecuting men and women that were part of the body of Christ. And Jesus says right there that you are persecuting me. So that is a direct reference that Jesus Christ is the church and the church is Jesus Christ. They're one and the same. That's why he's called, why the church is called the body of Christ. And why you have the husband and the wife, when they get married, the two shall be one flesh because it's a picture of that marriage relationship. And so when you persecute the church, you persecute Jesus. And then Ephesians 4.12. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. There it is. The saints are part of that body of Christ. And so going back to this question or this whole concept, why discipleship must be a priority for personal growth. Okay, so if you really want to grow, you have to be discipled. You've got to be involved in the discipleship. And if you're in discipleship and you want to grow, you have got to take it a lot more seriously. You've got to take it a lot more seriously. Why? Because God has given you the stewardship of the gospel, and he's given you the mission to do Jesus's work as his ambassador in this world. So if you don't do your job, then there are lost people that are not going to hear the gospel. There are saved people that are not going to be edified and are going to be rescued from the bondages of sin because you've remained stubborn and not wanting to do the work. God has given you this responsibility. And it's one of those things, frankly, I don't like talking this way, but it's one of those things, frankly, it doesn't matter if you like it or not. It is what it is. God's given you this work. He's given me this work. I have no choice in this matter. He's given me a stewardship. My choice in the matter is whether or not I'm willing to take it on and actually do something with it or not. And if I don't, then I'm going to fail and I'm not going to do anything that he's wanted me to do. And I'm not going to be able to glorify him the way that I need to glorify him. And so if that's the case, and it is, you must be trained. You've got to have discipline because if you don't have proper training and discipline, you're not going to grow enough personally to do the job well. And you're not going to grow personally alone. There's no way you can do it alone. It is a work designed to be with another person in your life so that way they can be objective with you and you with them so that way you can grow and they can grow. And so you've got to be connected with the Spirit. You've got to be in submission to Him. You've got to be connected in the Word of God. You've got to be connected in your local church. And that's why discipleship should always be teaching these things. It should be always teaching their disciples about their stewardship, about their mission, about how to grow personally, about how to do it with accountability. And, and the result of discipleship is that you are in more submission to the Spirit, you are being more obedient to the Word of God, and you are more involved in your local church. If discipleship is not accomplishing those things, then there's something wrong. There is absolutely something wrong because those things should exist. All right. That was a lot. And we hit some things that I really wanted to talk about that are pretty deep. And I think there's a lot of people that don't really understand this. And if this is your first introduction to this kind of stuff, don't worry about it. Some of these things you're going to learn along the way. But my big thing that I want you to take away with this whole thing is that if you really want to grow strong, you must be discipled. And you should be discipled because God has given you a mission. And if you don't want to be discipled, then you just got to understand that God's given you a mission and you said, Forget it. I don't care if I fail. I'm just going to fail. I don't want to be that way. I hope you don't want to be that way either. God's given you a mission. He's given you the stewardship. Do a good job. So be discipled. And look at discipleship a little bit different because I think sometimes we can get very lax when it comes to discipleship uh, rather than understanding what its true intent is supposed to be. Okay.
I'm done talking. I've talked a lot. All right, so now we're down to our discussion and our uh, challenge on this whole thing. So um, anything you guys want to talk about in related to the stuff that we just addressed? Any comments, anything that stood out to you, any questions you have, anything at all? Alana, what do you got? Um, so Sean Carlson taught about discipleship in the junior high, and he said something that like really changed my perspective on discipleship. It's um, discipleship isn't just something you do; it's who you are. Mm -hmm. And discipleship should have a huge impact on who you are and um, your relationship with Christ. And like that kind of blew my mind because. Um, when I had gotten discipled, um, in the junior high, like, I don't think I understand, understood the purpose of it. I just kind of did it and I didn't let it affect my relationship at all. And, um, so when I came to the senior high, I'm like, okay, I got to get this right. Like discipleship isn't just something I need to do. It's something like, it's important. Like it's, and it's sad that like other churches don't do it because you see the differences in our church and other churches. Like, um, I don't know. I just feel like we have a stronger ministry. I just see it like just seeing other Christians like at school even. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I just think it's important to look at it with that perspective because yeah. that's what helps me. So. Yeah, it is. You're right. And I will tell you um, what I just taught you guys tonight. Um, if I were to go to another church, I wouldn't be able to teach this stuff to adults. I wouldn't. I, I couldn't. I would have to figure out another way to talk about it. Um, but the reason why we can talk about this the way that we're talking about it is because of some of the groundwork we've laid along the way in our children's ministry and junior high and stuff we've talked about in the senior high. And so you guys have an opportunity to really take this stuff and run with it. Um, a lot of you guys do have the opportunity to disciple somebody. I mean, you could, you really could. Um, so these are some things you really need to take to heart because you could be light years ahead of, I mean, a lot of you are already light years ahead of anywhere that I was when you're, when I was your age. Um, and you really need to just adopt these things and run with it. I mean, that's, that's the best thing that you can do is to take some of these things and just run with it. All right, what else we got? Any other comments, thoughts? Moffin. Cool. So as you like introduced discipleship and you were like gonna explain like the definition, you were like, I know a lot of you haven't looked at it this way or something like that. And like, it'll kind of give a new perspective. I was like, okay, I'm pretty sure I've heard this before. <laughs> and then you said that and I was like, I am not. And yeah, that was kind of a yeah, okay. But um I really liked like I I really hadn't thought of it before. And like just the idea of like I knew the Bible said that we're supposed to like conform to the image of Christ, but like I don't know why I didn't connect that with discipleship and like you don't have to be far ahead. And like, I knew that, but at the same time, I wasn't actually like in my thoughts, I wasn't really thinking about it like that. And just, 
and it's it's learning to willfully submit your will to the Lord in all things. And I just love that. And like, especially that, like, we're like, you're supposed to be constantly changing. You said like, in like the past six weeks, you should have grown a lot. And I like that, like, not exactly that you gave a time frame, but like just the fact that there it's like in six weeks you should grow a lot like this is discipleship you're learning you're growing and i don't know i just i i i didn't see it that way before yeah. that's good and that's why like stuff like this really makes things click because you know like even six weeks ago so we're getting ready to plant our garden well, mainly megan's getting ready to plant the garden because that's kind of as i kind of built the garden and put things together but anyway but you start to look at the concept of like, okay, six weeks ago, these little seedlings and then what they become in just six weeks, you know? Um, now there are periods of our life where we grow a lot more over a short period of time, just because, because of adversity or other things that might happen. Um, but there are always elements of growth. Like you look outside and okay, this is the time of year where the trees start to have buds. So the tree doesn't really necessarily grow or it doesn't seem to grow any taller, but you start to see the leaves. You know, so there's always evidence of growth, always. Um, and sometimes you grow faster when you're younger. And then when you're older, it's not, it's not necessarily the stature that you're going to grow. It's actually in your spiritual girth. I guess that's the right way to put it. I love that word, spiritual girth. Um, <laughs> you know, but those are the things that should exist. There should, there should always be evidence of life. And where there's evidence of life, there's always evidence of growth. Um, things being shed, new things coming on. I mean, you could just go on and on. Yep. Awesome. Thanks. All right. What else we got? Anything else? Any other comments? Emily Owens. So I just kind of wanted to say really quickly with that definition, um, it's very different from what I've ever been told before, even being in discipleship. Um, but I loved how it said, um, willfully submit your will. Because I feel like that's a decision I made, but it's not a decision I've continued to make all the time. And it's a decision, honestly, I've gone back on a lot. And just thinking about, you know, it has to be a conscious effort. And I think sometimes I forget that and I, I let it go and then things get out of control. Yeah. Um, so just like from the start and even through those verses, seeing how it's like it's a willful action. You have to deny yourself. like there's all these steps, but it boils down to you have to consciously make that decision. Yes. And I feel like I don't do that as much as I should. So. Yeah. Yeah. And, and frankly, we can stop that at any time. I mean, your, your obedience is really a moment by moment thing that, that we all have to face, whether or not we're going to be submissive in each moment, because it can really turn on a dime and um, it takes, and that's why that training and discipline is required and having that accountability um just because we're not going to be able to do it alone because it was left to us <laughs> we just fail every time yeah yep good awesome any other thoughts comments okay all right so awesome um all right so here's where we're at as far as a challenge for this week um in general i mean it's about discipleship and i know you guys are all over the board with discipleship but I would really like you guys to reevaluate um, where you're at with this concept of being a disciple and in uh, discipleship. Um, 
you know, maybe a really good challenge for those of you that are in discipleship right now is that you really have a, a good discussion with your discipler this week about your perspective. And if there's something that needs to be different, uh, maybe something that you need to be challenged on. Um, I mean, I even know that this last week when Trevor and I got together, we had a good discussion about this just with quarantine and stuff. And I've given him some stuff to do that he's freaked out about and wants to do it. And I'm excited to be able to hear it, you know, but it's those things that we need to be constantly pushing each other. Um, so maybe you need to have a discussion with your discipler. You know, maybe you haven't been discipled and you need to be discipled. I'm in the process now of trying to connect at least a couple of people right now in discipleship. So if that's you and you've been kind of putting it off, um, then man, let me know. Let one of us leaders know that you want to do it and we'll make it happen. Um, you know, maybe there's some of you that you're just not like, you know what? I did it, but it really didn't mean anything, and I need something more. We've done that. We've had some people that have finished discipleship, and they needed some additional accountability. So we've tried to figure out some different alternatives for them. Um, but just think about that. Or maybe there's somebody that you know that you can start discipling and that you can kind of take that step, and maybe you're wondering how to do that. You know, just, just think about this. And wherever God's really leading you on this topic of being that faithful steward of the gospel and of being an ambassador, then... Just whatever that is, just be more obedient. And maybe it is as simple as I just need to be more faithful because I've not been as faithful as I should have been in my discipleship relationship. Um, so really be considering that. And remember, if you're going to do this thing, you got to stay connected. This is why I said from the very beginning, as we keep going forward in this study, we're going to be going back to the heart issue. It always comes back down to the heart. Every time your heart being connected to God and how that affects your reading and your praying and that will affect your ability to grow strong through discipleship. But we have to start with discipleship. Next week, I want to get into, and I don't know if we're going to do one week or a couple weeks, but I want to talk about how to study the Bible. So we're going to get into that a little bit on what it means to study the Bible. Um, I would love to go through the full how to study the Bible series, but it's just it would take like three months, four months in order to do something like that. So what I'll do is I'm just going to share some basic things that I use on a daily basis um, and I also want you guys to bring stuff to the table about like what you do um, when it comes to studying the Bible. And we can talk about that. I want some of our other leaders to be able to talk about that. Um, but that's kind of the direction that we're going next. Um, so I know next week, next Wednesday, Bobby's going to teach for me and he's going to do um, a thing on uh, discipleship. And so he's going to be figuring that out. But once we get past that and we get into how to study the Bible, that's where we're going to go. So, um, so anyway, that's the current plan. So I'm excited about it. And then after we do how to study the Bible, we're going to get into memorizing the Bible and why that's important and some different things that, that I use and other leaders use in order to memorize and why we memorize and all that stuff. So, all right, sweet. Okay, well, it is uh, pushing 10 o'clock. My bad, guys. I went a little bit longer tonight. Um, but uh, let's go ahead and finish out with a word of prayer, and then we can be done. So let's get someone to pray. I, I pick Andy. Andy, all right. Andy's going to pray. <laughs> he volunteered Andy. Oh, wait. Is he even here? <laughs> Skipped out on you, buddy. So that means Trevor, you got to pray, dude. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Backfired on me real quick. Yeah, he did. See, that's, see I think that's what Andy playing. He's like, oh, I know it's yeah. coming. So I'm going to duck yeah, out. Exactly. All right. <laughs> well, do you want me to pray? I mean, I can. Well, yeah, unless you want to just keep going with this awkward moment. Should we, should we just no, kind of keep well. going? 
Okay. You want. Right. I mean, we, all right. Yeah, we could. We could. We could. We could. Doesn't matter. You can right. if you want. All right. All right. All right. Good and pray. Uh, Jordan, uh, just thank you for this day that we just had all together. Um, it's really nice just to all, all of us talk. Um, it's pretty crazy that we can just do that. Um, I just pray that this whole quarantine thing is over soon. Um, but if if it isn't, just let us all stay healthy. And uh, in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Thanks, everybody. Whatever. Whatever, Andy. I'll, I'll talk to him after this. Yeah, yeah. You, you, you talk to him. <laughs> oh, you talk- I will. I'm sure he's going to listen to you. <laughs> <coughs> yeah. All right. Well, see you later. All right. All right see you later. See you, Trevor. <laughs> see, see you.